Thanks for joining the Ross Republic podcast. My name is Adrian Klee. I'm partner at Ross Republic. And for this episode, uh, I'm joined by Alex Müller, who is currently head of growth at Airbank. Thanks for joining, Alex. How are you doing? Pleasure to be here, Adrian. Very good to be here. Thank you. I'm fine. Awesome. Um, so just to give you a short introduction to who, um, what Alex is doing and what he's done previously, uh, currently he's the head of growth at Airbank, um, a next generation financial management platform for European startups and SMBs. Before he joined Airbank, Alex worked as a strategy consultant at Accenture and he was a fintech growth investor at the well-known VC Speedinvest. So Alex, next generation financial management, that's like also the um, topic of this episode. I would like to ask you in your own words, if some of our listeners are a startup or working at a startup or, you know, have an SM, SM, small business, anyone who's never heard of like, what's, what do you mean with next generation management in your own words? That would be nice if you could explain it in a few simple uh, sentences. Of course, I think to just sum it up in, in one sentence, I'd say it's having all your e-banking accounts and portals, all your cash flow planning and all your invoices or bill payments at one place. Today, this is all in disparate systems spread yep. across certain workflows. And we are trying to bring this together into one place. Amazing, amazing. I'm really excited about uh, about this podcast. But before we dive deeper into, into the topic of SMEs and banking, um, just one good question, um, because you, you obviously worked as a consultant at Accenture before. Um, what made you switch to the startup world and um, maybe what are some learnings from your time as a consultant that help you now as head of growth at Airbank? Sure. So the decision to go back into startups was a long time coming. About two years, two years before I went into an MBA leave specifically thinking, okay, I started out in the entrepreneurship world as a young student trying to do entrepreneurship stuff, um, realized I have to learn quite, quite a lot and collected the tooling in, in the consulting world and through, through the MBA, the postgraduate, it was more about finding a direction. Is it more the venture capital space that I really feel comfortable with, or is it being an operator myself in the startup world where I want to go back and use those two years to, to make this one major decision. And, uh, being here now, it's, it, it, it was, it was really the operator side, side of the venture. World. Awesome. All right. Sounds great. And um, another really interesting point, um, what I saw on your website is that Airbank is a fully remote company. And actually, we had one other fintech previously here, Juni, who's also fully remote. Um, I feel like it's, it's going to be a bigger trend, like given there's anyways already now a, a big international pressure to secure the best talent globally. And obviously, Corona crisis has accelerated that whole um, development. How, how, what are like the benefits of being remote first? I mean, there's a bit of a hype behind being remote and I think you gotta see it from a point where the best talent chooses the best companies and the best companies have been and will be those that give the most choice, flexibility and freedom to the employees to be at their best when they devote their lifetime to the company. And having the option to work from where you want is a really, really strong note over the companies that don't have it. So. From an instant, our hiring pool opens up beyond the 30 miles of Berlin towards the global, uh, like globally across the world. And this, and the people, like we are getting the best talent really from, from around the world, or we're trying to access the best talent. It's, there's still a lot of competition. And I think the future is neither 100% remote where you are not allowed to go to an office anymore, or you have to be 100% in an office 
but it will be in between. And that's what we are running at the Bank as well is the first rule of an office because we have the hubs in uh, Berlin, Vienna, Barcelona and Sao Paulo. The first rule is you don't have to be there. And I think everyone will have had this experience with their bosses in the past where I was like, okay, I need to really need to run some errands today and I don't feel comfortable asking whether I can stay at home. This is, this is something that we are completely taking away and the flexibility is just attracting a larger base of talent that we can, that we can get for when I work, that we can get working for Airbank. Fully agree, fully agree. Is there like one tool that you can't live without in this whole remote setup? Is it Slack or is it? Yes, it's Slack. I'm, I'm, I'm living in Slack pretty much. All right, <laughs> good to hear. Um, then let's, let's jump right into the topic. Um, let's maybe, I mean, there's a lot to unpack around SMBs, um, software, banking. Um, let's maybe start with like the big trends that are just driving, driving this whole um, ecosystem development of new software and, and new banks that are targeting SMBs. And I feel like they're, they're two big growth trends at the moment, which is the growth of smaller businesses and startups in general, digitalization, um, and at the same time, open banking and API connectivity. And obviously that, that kind of opens up a big market, you know, um, targeting SMBs, targeting the, the ones that are now um, digitalizing their business and at the same time using APIs to do all of that. What's your view like on the key trends that underpin the growth um, of Airbank as well and the whole um, category that targets SMBs in general? Yeah, I try to see it in the context of really fintech SMB, uh, fintech applications in, in the SMB category. And yes. to, to answer this, I think it's a bit of a detour, but you really need to go down where is the oil of the whole economic engine happening. And I think these are the business transactions and business transactions make the volume of, of what makes up the economy as a whole. And as a fintech, you want to sit in one way or the other on these transactions. And this is also where, where we are coming in. Uh, historically, if you develop financial services with the aim to sit on business transactions, you will go to the large companies because they have a large volume of these transactions in a homogeneous single use case uh, ecosystem. And so all the, the solutions, especially in the financial services uh, area, have been developed for the large companies. and. If you look at the total size of businesses in Europe, that's a couple of thousand versus we are speaking of millions of SMBs that are left, being left underserved. And just going even a bit further into the protocols they use, they have been fairly, fairly legacy, right? So the first connectivity protocols to sit on those transactions have emerged in the 80s in Germany with the BTX roughly translated to the uh, display text protocol, uh, exchange protocol, and then in '95 there was the human, uh, not human, the, the home banking uh, computing interface that developed into Abix, which is still fairly, fairly uh, uh, broad pr protocol in application. And then only in 2015, the cornerstones of bringing connectivity on these business transactions have spread out into the larger market when PSD2, the open banking regulation in Europe was first defined. And then it took four years until it was ratified. And uh, there, are, there are quite a couple of business that will live on to tell the tales of trying to connect to banks in 2019. So from a 2020, uh, 2021 lens, we are in a quite of a luxury position to finally be 
able to broadly sit on on business transactions and and that's also where where I'm trying to close the loop uh, to to the question. So you have the you have the untapped market segment of the SMBs that have been underserved historically, and now you have the tooling to address them and push what has been done for the large enterprise sector into the tail ends of the market. And these are the two trends that we are that we are that we are riding with with Airbank. Yeah, fully agree. Also, like the, the, the current state of the SME market in Europe today, because um, I fully agree that SMEs have um, previously been quite underserved when it comes to these connectivity solutions and having your transactions in other systems, for example. Um, how would you describe that state of the market right now? Um, maybe you can also go into a little bit of um, um, the size of the market. For example, um, I know we had some previous discussion around um, how big is the market actually. And in the show notes, I will I will cross check the numbers and put the, put the right ones in. But um, it seems like there is quite a lot of dynamic going on in, at the moment um, because the numbers. When, for example, we at Ross Republic released a report on SME banking, where I found um, um, 11 million um, freelancers and sole traders across Europe. Now I checked it yesterday and there's a new study that recently came out um, from Malt, which is a freelancer platform, and they're now at 19 million um, freelancers across Europe. So, so I would like to cross-check that. But I think in general that the ballpark number is like 25 million, talking about micro and smaller SMEs um, operating in Europe. Yeah. I, I... I think SMB market is just huge in Europe. I think that is that is something you can very comfortably say. Um, it would be an interesting statistics to see the number of SMEs on the total population compared to the US. I think in the US there are even more uh, small businesses compared to the global uh, total population in Europe. But yeah. it's it's such a huge market. I think the, the key to crack it is not trying to address the whole market at once, but finding your wedge into this market and gradually like land and expand. And we did this exercise at Airbank to try to figure out who exactly in the SMB segment is the target user. What is the ideal customer profile? And logically you will go through all the certain variants the SMB market has from the solo entrepreneurs to the freelancers to the traditional industries, to the new industries. And you pretty quickly find out those need to be addressed through different means. But they all have a couple of things together. And that's why I'm coming back to what I said earlier. They all transact. They all have these business transactions. That's the one, the one common theme across all and the transactions. And the second step that we took was looking, okay, we have 25 million SMEs in Europe. It's a fairly growing number. The morbidity is lower than the, the, the birth rate. Uh, so how are they transacting? And here you have two major rails. And depending on the KPI, you look like they are, they are similar or there's one uh, winner in these rails. So there's the banking rails, really the classic wire transfers or in Europe, the SEPA rails, single Europe payment area rails. And then there are the card rails, which is Visa, MasterCard, Amex, and, the, and a few, few smaller players. So we looked at the numbers and you can look at the numbers both in terms of volumes, like how many transactions are being done. You can look at the numbers in terms of value, which rail is used to transact the most value across the payment ether. And by value, you look at the 300 trillion market 
that is transacting uh, back and forth. And out of these 300 trillion, there's only about four where Visa and MasterCard are, are really present. So what's really happening, the, the large majority of the transactions is used by value through the via, through the via, through the SEPA bank rails. And that's when we decided, okay, this is a massive difference to what is happening in the US, where we see success cases like Ramp and Brex and Expensify and all whatnot. And in Europe, why have debit credit cards not taken off that way? Is because there's a much stronger bias towards wire transfers. Just quickly touching upon a few like um, connectivity trends, which obviously you mentioned before, open banking is um, when you look at the UK where it really originated, where we have a strong push from the regulator, which has been growing quite strongly there over the last years. And um, the number of businesses, uh, also consumers that use open banking is, has been steadily growing. Um, so um, since you're also tapping into open banking feeds, um, with AirBank, I think that's, that's another major enabler of these new type of tools um, which you're building as well. Um, likewise, with um, in general, like open APIs, where we had some interesting uh, statistic around financial APIs that are um, that are published each year. Um, I think, according to Programmable Rep, um, there's an average of more than 600 financial APIs added per year. So, obviously, um, connectivity into into software and also into financial tools is is also increasing. And you're sitting at an amazing sweet spot, which is this. Um, underserved SME segment, which really deserves better tooling, um, which previously was only available to like large companies, plus now the ability to really work with these transactions through open banking feeds, analyze them and also initiate transactions, plus having in general more API connectivity, I guess, into, I think it's a general trend in accounting and ERP systems, right? Yeah, I think for the first part of, of what you just said, the UK leading the way, I in application, we totally see this as well. The strongest bank connectivity, especially when we go into uh, open banking and enabled payments, comes from the UK. Um, I, what, what people told us when we initially started out was that uh, open banking, especially for business bank accounts, is much less mature than what we actually saw in reality. It, it works. It's, it's not, not a question of if it works, it's just a question of when really every bank is here and with the growth of the API providers, we are covering 90% plus of the business bank accounts in Europe. And this was, it was a bit of a gamble because people keep telling you open banking is not here. Many still having nightmares from the 2019 experience when there was a really bad awakening on the open banking thesis. Uh, that's why I initially said we're a bit of in, uh, in a comfort position because that part of the equation starts to work really well. And then suddenly this huge market opens up to you because then you can actually build value on top of the transactions. Yeah, I fully agree. I think that's a really interesting uh, approach. Uh, we previously had um, Unit Plus here at the podcast who are building automated wealth management tools and they have a similar strategy because um, um, obviously the they also see the transactions as like the oil, as you mentioned it before. Um, you, can, you can basically by assessing transactions um, you can you can create a really tailored asset management product for um, uh, for a dentist, but also for a bus driver, which might have completely different transactions. But you, you have access to them, you analyze them, um, and by that you can really tailor your product um, without having you know a, a strong target segment focus in the first place. You can really scale horizontally because by assessing transactions, you can do so many things around it, right? So I think that's that's a, that's a 
great yeah ab uh, absolutely and the the special case for the business segment that you don't face in the consumer segment is that you are in a sandwich position between two very important parts of the regula regulatory ecosystem on the one side yeah. you have the financial services and the banking which are heavily regulated um, on the other side you have the accounting which is heavily regulated and regulation differs across countries but the thing that happens in between is all the business intelligence that connects these two ecosystems you don't really the consumer doesn't really face a lot of financial services regulation there is a bit but not really a, an issue of the of the consumer them, the consumers themselves and the consumer doesn't need to comply to any accounting regulation doesn't need to well they have taxes every year but it's, it's not like every day you collect your invoices as a consumer in order to file your taxes at the end of the month the business does face that so that's why from the get-go we said yeah we're not going into becoming the regulated entity ourselves on the banking side and we're not going to build any accountant workflows but there is a strong ecosystem in between that is that is a bit of a gap and absolutely I fully agree. I think that's that's um, also my my like thesis where the SME finance tools are headed. Um, just um, building on experience and um, also insights from other people that worked at like the first wave of fintechs um, that went into this like kind of regulatory route. Um, even though um, there are solutions like um, e-money licenses or payment institution licenses which are not as heavy, but still still it really drains your resources in a massive way and you need to scale up anyways with compliance in the first place plus um, in my experience it's it's just customer acquisition is so uh, it has become so expensive it's it's kind of become a red ocean so my, my thesis was either you go down the stack and you just provide the banking as a service tooling for others or you go up the stack and build on top of these bank accounts and transaction rails and do focus more on the decision making and, and analytics part yeah i i, I fully fully agree it's Caring for regulation is a monetizable uh, activity. And this is what banks have done in the past really well. It's still what they do today. So Airbank couldn't live without a bank, right? It's, yeah. we, even though we are kind of competing with the online banking portals, the first, we can only exist because they are there in the first place. The one thing we will never have to do is carrying whether a transaction actually passes AML, anti-money anti laundering uh, compliance. Yeah. Because the bank is doing it for us. So as long as a transaction goes through, both the regulation is being taken care of, but by the underlying bank that provides the regulatory platform. The same goes for KYB, know your business processes. We don't need to authenticate the the, the customer's validity just by them having a bank account in the first place someone else has done this regulatory supervisory and this is also what what is monetizable for the banks and i think also it's it, it takes a lot of effort to look at this and it directly competes with the focus you could put on your customer so we are fully looking at the workflows and then at the customer while we can with uh, with good confidence hand over the regulatory efforts to the entities that like financial services banks that need the, the need to cover this in the first place. And I think also in SME banking, it's a little bit different story than um, general neo banking, where a lot of consumers and younger younger target segments have just been trying out um, a lot of new neo banks as a second or third account. That doesn't happen in SMB banking because you don't want to play around or 
you know mess up your accounting because you have just used different kinds of uh, accounts and tools um, next to each other and then um, everyone wants to avoid it so it's a really hygiene factor that you have a few tools that you really trust yeah uh, so i just wanted to add to the neobanking um that there has been a bit of a different adoption curve on neobanks and smb banks i do i do believe that neobanks mostly made just made the pie bigger but didn't really take a lot of market share because as you said it's second or third accounts i think it will be more the secular shift of people growing up without a legacy business account and making something like revolut or n26 their primary bank account in the first place i think that is yet bound to happen Absolutely, absolutely. So let's let's dive deeper and use the time to talk about Airbank. <laughs> um, if we start at like your, because we already touched upon target groups and SMBs, you already mentioned they're quite fragmented. But if you look at it from a transaction perspective, you can serve actually a horizontal cut of the whole SMB market. Are there like specific verticals? There's always a the question in, in fintech or in startups in general: Who are your first initial customers, and how do you how do you grow from there, and so on? So. Um, can you can you share anything around that? Of course. So the target thesis around Airbank's ideal customer, it's it's really the traditional industry. So we are talking restaurants, hospitality, retail, e-commerce, construction, and it's the businesses that have ten to up to two hundred fifty employees. Anything beyond that, right? The businesses beyond that will have fifty million plus in revenues quite quite quickly. That's when the professional treasury tooling comes in. We're not going to kick out any Caribes or SAP treasuries or fizz quantums out of this world. Although not, not what we are aiming to do. But anything below, there is no equivalent to those treasury capabilities. Yeah. But the, the entrepreneurs that are running those businesses still need it to increase their profits, to make more revenue, to spend less on, uh, on, on expenses. And this is the gap that we are trying to fill. The buyer persona itself is, let's say, more versatile because not all the businesses do have an F, a CFO or a VP finance. Many times we're talking directly to the business owner, him or herself. Do you distinguish then between like traditional industries, like someone who has a repair shop to someone who's fully e-commerce focused or like more digitally inclined businesses? Um, in my experience, like for example, with Holvi, we always distinguish between um, uh, physical sellers or service sellers that need to accept cash, for example, versus the ones that are fully online. Um, who, how, how do you see that split? Yeah, you definitely have to differentiate between those. And a Shopify store owner, e-commerce business, will have different needs than a construction company. Let me exemplify. A Shopify e-commerce store owner, they have really a high volume business and they yeah. pretty much need to forecast their finances on a daily basis. Because they, what, what they want to do is to increase the lot sizes for the next purchase with their suppliers. But they also need to know whether they have enough money on their bank accounts in order to finance the purchase in the first place. And that's why you nearly need a daily cash forecast in order to do this. And you, you, you give them, or we as Airbank give them a bit of the decision support system to do this. A construction company, right? Very, very different business model, but the same need. You have, but 
you don't have high volume anymore and you have much larger time frames. You don't need to forecast on a daily basis. You forecast on a monthly basis with years uh, of, of outlook if you have large construction projects, for example. And then you don't, uh, you ideally do your revenue or expense planning nearly on a, on a customer basis, right? You have 10 to 15 customers in, in total. So that's where subtle differences come in and also the way you go to market to those two different segments, I'd say, is slightly different. The technology behind is still powered by the same oil, which are the bank transactions and the business forecasting that is happening. The discipline is just the same. It's a subtle difference in the way you productize one need or the other. And this can be done within the same tool, but you need to be painfully aware of the differences. Absolutely. Um, how, how do you reach these customers? Because I, I obviously I know that SMBs um, uh, you know, don't have much time. You, you need to reach them in the, with the right timing and with the right proposition. Um, and, and in the past, most new banks have spent so much money on performance marketing and, and just, you know, um, it's just very expensive, um, which backfired in a way as well. Um, how, how do you try to solve that? So the, the whole thing about growth hacking is it's, it's such a good header for a new blog article where you share the one magic trick that worked for your company. These things happen, right? Sometimes you think you, you, you get something that just works. For example, we had a couple of new press articles that drove massive signups. And this is really nice to have, but it's not sustainable growth and you can't just growth hack your way into the market. Maybe if you're lucky, but it's not a strategy to have in the first place. So the real tough answer to the question is you need to pick up the phone and introduce yourselves to as many businesses as, human, as, as somehow possible. And while in the first couple of months of Airbank, we really scaled up the engineering organization, not much longer after that, we scaled up the business development organization. And if I look back to the last one and a half months, at least 10,000 businesses have seen an introduction to Airbank through an email, through a LinkedIn messages, through a call. Like we are really trying to go aggressively in there because it's not like the SMBs are like, no, I don't want to see a cash flow management tool. Maybe you are catching them off guard. Maybe you need to do some extra convincing, but the worst that happens is an SMB tells you, no, I'm not interested right now. And still then they will keep you, if you do a good job in selling the product, they will keep you in the back of their minds. Might recommend you to another business and then these network effects start kicking in. But in the beginning, in the SMB markets, I still think the, the, the initial hustle, picking up the phone, going out there and being present on, on, on multiple channels is the yep. most sustaining way to reach those customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also a little bit of a different difference if you're targeting really sole traders only, um, you know, like pro freelance developers, for example, or um, going more up market into the segments that you just mentioned, um, because the, the new banks that are fully focused on freelancers, for example, I think they're that the best channel is just referral and the typical online marketing because they're almost like consumers, but um, talking to businesses that have already a few employees and with a product that needs more explanation around it. Uh, then obviously it's, it's much better if you call them. I know that like all these expense management startups, um, Playo and so on, they also just call businesses because that's the best way to, to reach them and to explain your product in the first place. 
an, an interesting question from my side would also be around the core pain points that you try to solve with Airbank. Um, just to start that question off with an interesting anecdote. Um, a, a colleague of mine previously, he, he worked at a um, German fintech startup that was um, pre mainly doing factoring solutions for small businesses. And his sales job, in, like when he started out there, was quite hard because he was telling inter like really funny stories that he he called um, CEOs and CFOs of as German SMBs and his. I mean, in his in his sales role, his first um, message usually was that, or you know, that they have uh, cash flow problems because otherwise he couldn't sell his inv his uh, factoring problem, um, in a way, right? Because why wouldn't you, why would you use factoring if you don't have cash flow cash flow issues? So how how do you explain your solution like that? Um, you provide more transparency into into um, the transactions and cash flows. Um, do you focus more on the time time savings? How do you explain your solution? Well, you, you start separating the business that the business owner that sits in front of you. Um, it doesn't make sense to introduce yourself as a time or cash saving solution if you're talking to a venture funded business, right? There, there are some businesses out there that just do have a lot of cash. Um, so that's why you do that. But this you do in a couple of minutes of research prior to the conversation. So you try to filter those away because the pitch will look very different. But the other part of the owl, those that are cash strapped, and that's where the traditional industries are very omnipresent in, that the, the pitch is very similar all the time. Because we know that at least half of those businesses have had liquidity problems. And I think a quarter of those have, a, have less than 15 days of liquidity in their business. So you pretty much know one of, one of the few hooks to go in there. And starting with do you have a place to that you look at where you understand whether you can pay the bills of your next month do you have something like this there's always a kind of yes because no one just tells you no but in the end these are excel files that are being prepared by the the assistant or financial analyst or in first case the accountant that provides you the day and they are 15 days after the month end and that's when you start a, con a really humble conversation and ask questions like, have you ever had to not pay yourself in order to pay your employees? And this happens much more often to business owner than, than, than it should. And then the whole transparency part comes in, right? Let's start at first bringing together all the finances you have. And some, one of the questions we had in the beginning, do they even have more than one bank account? And unisono, the answer is yes. You have, you might, even if you have small businesses, a business, you might have one bank account and then you maybe have a backup bank account. You have a PayPal account, maybe, or a, an Amex account for if you're in the, in the UK, maybe a transfer advisor by now WISE account to do some international procurement. And so suddenly you have like four or five different financial sources that are all regulated by the open banking regulation that you bring together. And suddenly this whole thing makes a lot of sense to have in the first place. And the, and the, and the entry to this is with Airbank most of the time still a free solution to have. Because only then you start bringing the value, like the instant cash flow statement. Like seeing where you got money from and paid money to across the categories that we are, that we are categorizing automatically. And so this conversation very quickly is very humble and it's more of an advisory role that we are going into when we are talking to, to the business owners than a real pitch. Yeah. Um, just one last thing about your product. Um, 
because I read on uh, some parts on your website you're already talking about treasury. Do you have something lined up there, or how how can you um, how how would you describe the treasury product? So the, there you look at the future of earning, right? So the the whole SaaS component is really the hook to get into the market, but where we are going to land is being this financial management platform for all parts of the balance sheet. And okay. treasury, we are on the part of the cash-rich companies. And if you have excess cash, today you pay minus 0.5% of penalty interest rates at least yep. in Germany and most other European uh, countries. And while those, those businesses that are cash-strapped might not might not see that issue that much the most cfos uh, business owners we talk to they really hate those 0.5 percent penalty interest rates and there are interesting um, interesting technologies on the horizon cash sweeping through variable recurring payments to get all the excess cash directly into an asset that reduces the minus 0.5 to minus 0.2 maybe zero percent or even a, a positive um, interest uh, interest asset. Obviously, this always comes with a certain risk, but this is something that definitely is on the horizon. On the other side of the equation, the cash strap businesses, they will want to have working capital extension, so they don't have excess cash, they need excess cash. And they will be going both into the revenue-based financing as well as the normal working capital loans to pre-qualify users for a 25k extension for a small thing to finance the next project and this is part of the research we've done and we've, we've studied many businesses just don't engage in business activities because they don't know if they can invest it up front and if you if you're if you're a business like go back to the construction company starting a larger project will need an initial investment by the company so if there is not enough cash on the bank accounts, they cannot engage in the business activity in the project in the first place. And through these modules, like especially revenue-based financing, working capital extension, and excess cash investments, that's when you really spread out to become the financial management platform that really covers the whole balance sheet. Yeah. Amazing. So um, I think there could be many more topics and you know specialized uh, um, you know um, segments that we can talk about, like like lending for SMBs. It sounds very interesting that you that you will um, further down the road utilize all the amazing data that you will have of your SMB customers and really help them to to manage their cash flow better. Um, and I'm really really bullish on these um, above banking plays because obviously mm -hmm. if you um, look lock into your bank account as an SMB at the moment, whether that's from Sparkasse, whether that's um, you know one of the well-known neo banks out there. It is not a really intelligent product. It's it's just a list of transactions, and you can make a payment basically. And this whole whole um, kind of customer need of uh, understanding where your business is going and all the you know cash flow metrics um, is is usually very hard to get by if you're not an Excel pro or if you're you know um, also using the typical uh, accounting tools out there. They're not really geared towards this need. So I feel like now with the um, trends and um, you know developments that we talked about in open banking and APIs and uh, banking connectivity, uh, banking as a service, and so on, it all comes together now that you can build really amazing solutions for SMBs. Um, and cash flow is usually the number one pain point that they have. So um, I feel like uh, it's going to be an interesting journey from Airbank that we will for sure um, um, follow up. 
any, yeah, I would say for the listeners that want to check out Airbank, what would you recommend them? Where can they check you out? So today it is uh, fully free to sign up to the platform. This is part of being an early stage startup, trying to grow the user base. Um, I can just recommend signing up. Uh, there will be someone getting in touch really, really in a short amount of time. Uh, get to know the Airbank team, chat with them about cash flows, about what we should do and experience what's, uh, what, a, what a startup can do when they still can do things that don't scale, like a really close conversation about cash flow management, for example. All right, that sounds great. So thanks, Alex, for having joined our podcast and uh, speak to you soon. Pleasure was to be here. Thank you.